Hey, thank you for listening to the Real Perspectives podcast. If you like this episode, please follow us and tell one of your colleagues about the interview you're about to hear or have heard in the past. We hope you enjoy our conversations and that you'll listen to others in our library. If you have any thoughts, ideas, or suggestions, please reach out. We'll do our best to incorporate them. Thanks again. Today I'm speaking with Patricia Kammer, a principal researcher, workspace futures, and research for Steelcase in Grand Rapids, Michigan. She leads the strategic foresight practice and is responsible for identifying disruptive forces of change impacting the world of work to drive decision-making for the company. For the past 24 years, she has focused on complex adaptive systems and how we might design solutions that can lead to impactful change to improve the human experience. Past research projects include looking at digital transformation, the complexities of distributed collaboration, diversity and its impact of innovation, as well as the implications of neuroscience for work, workers and the workplace. Her current area of focus includes a deeper understanding of the structure of work post-COVID and the role of organizations in the 21st century economy. Welcome to the podcast, Patricia. Hey, Patricia. Good afternoon. How are you? Hi. Good afternoon. Where do we find you today? Where are you? I'm currently in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Excellent. Excellent. Um, Patricia, uh, just as a, um, uh, as a way of introducing yourself, would you mind telling us a little bit about you know, yourself, sort of how you got to Steelcase and maybe how the you know, winding road of your uh, you know, career got you to where you are today? Yes, of course. Well, my formal education and training is in the area of design, specifically interior design. And um, as you can imagine, I firmly believe that the built environment does and can have an impact on human behavior. And I've been fortunate to find my way to Steelcase over 24 years ago, and I'm practicing human-centered design research. I was a member of the team that conducted the exploratory research prior to the launch of our education and healthcare business. I've had the opportunity to study a number of different topics related to things like distributed innovation, neuroscience, attention, digital transformation, and more recently, of course, uh, the impact of hybrid on the workplace. Yeah, which is, I think, a topic on on many people's minds these days. And and I promise not to dwell into COVID too much here, but I do want to ask a couple of questions just in terms of, you know, how that whole experience is evolving what you do at, you know, Steelcase and how does your company look at this sort of new, you know, hybrid work? Um, what is What does it mean for, for a company like you guys? Yeah, I think it's a really good question, actually. Um, as I mentioned, you know, our organization is centered in human-centered design. We, I would describe us as a human-centered design organization. So we tend to look to that user to identify those pain points and to effectively support the needs with products, services, or experiences. But what I would say is since the beginning of COVID, we're certainly seeing the definition of the, the sort of the decisions or the voices of the employer and employee articulating differences with regards to what it is they're looking for. So I would say my job is fundamentally defining what is sort of the truth in both of those and how do we create a balanced story. So what I would say is that while no two organizations behave alike, when it comes to the adoption of hybrid, most companies are considering four business factors, and these are the continuity of business. Can they continue to do business as usual? 
if they adopt a hybrid practice, you know, what happens with regards to a talent strategy? Do they need to have hybrid in order to to retain the best talent, as you can imagine, right? The other thing that they often talk about is cost, right? If I adopt hybrid, does this have an impact on our overall cost structure? Can I reduce my real estate? Then lastly, the question that they tend to ask is culture. So because of the fact that every organization is different, they all have different sort of business continuity needs, different talent structures, different costs, different cultures, they tend to look at the balance of those four in determining whether or not they would even offer a hybrid or flexible work arrangement to their employees. What's interesting about what you just said, and I don't know if this was um, in order that these questions are asked, but but you mentioned culture the last, and 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 I don't know if it's last on their mind or you just sort of were listing listing the sort of criteria that they go through. Um, but often employers cite culture as the reason people should be in the office, <laughs> yet um, it may not be the top priority for them when they're deciding on kind of what the workspace design is. It, but may, maybe I'm sort of oversimplifying it, but um, but I am curious sort of you know, now that the employee seems to be driving a lot of kind of how they want the space to look like, if you're noticing a little bit of a shift in terms of like some of these priorities as well. Well, I think what's interesting about that is absolutely, I mean, I think organizations understand the impact on culture, no doubt. But I think these other three factors are weighing heavily on their mind, particularly can they reduce their costs Um, and can we keep business running as usual? So I would say it's not that culture isn't important. It's just that it's all four of these factors, which is why I think a little more as lovers and they're trying to create the appropriate balance that allows them to have an effective culture despite perhaps offering some of these. So the challenge that we tend to see is, you know, people saying things like, well, you know, will I damage the culture if in fact everybody is distributed? And I think that's a very valid question to ask. Yeah, certainly, certainly. Um, even prior to the pandemic, um, you know, I would argue there was a there was a big movement towards, you know, making the corporate office look, you know, a lot more welcoming and appealing, you know, sort of the... Um, the you know living groomization if you will i don't know if that's a word <laughs> i'm sure there's some awful word like that that exists um you know where basically it's you know the the offices are looking more like you know lounges or like places where you would want to just sort of hang out and do work and that kind of thing um given everything kind of you know happening over the last 24 36 months you know is is that still the the, the trend is that kind of where what is sort of driving workplace design these these days um what what are you seeing yeah i love that question actually because you're absolutely correct we were certainly seeing many organizations experimenting right right by creating these really energetic public spaces or more social spaces and they were spaces that were serving multiple purposes right so it was a cafe that also served as a place for meetings after hours or during hours etc and we continue to see that but what i think is really fascinating is the greater attention to materiality the biophilic and these other things that i would would describe as impacting individuals at their core so explorations into neuroaesthetics for example and the impact that beautiful spaces can have on us as individuals is really dominant right now um, and we're still seeing the inclusion of these creative spaces and range of fishings, which is very much in keeping in line with what you were describing as this trend in hospitality. But the one thing I do want to mention is that in addition to that, what I would say that in the past where we were maybe designing for the body through ergonomics, and then we certainly had a shift to designing for work processes, which to me would be cognitive or the mind, I would say now we're moving into the era of the spirit. 
And certainly it was the trauma of the pandemic and rising mental health crises, et cetera, are asking us all to consider the way in which space as well as the office is much more holistic. But still case, we have an expression that we say our desire is to create work experiences that leave you healthier when you arrive. And I believe that we are certainly in an era of designing not just for the mind and body, but also for the spirit. Oh, that's very interesting. Yeah. I'm also curious, um, how does that, how is that evolving on a sort of, you know, different dimension? So um, I imagine, you know, you know, presently in the office or, you know, in a, in a workplace environment, you've got, you know, Gen X, Gen Y, Gen Z, maybe even, you know, some boomer, um, you know, generation people, right? Um, how, how do these, you know, things evolve with those shifting demographics as well. Yeah, I think that's absolutely correct. And and although you mentioned, you know, like some alpha and other generations that perhaps are not necessarily in the office environment, professional office setting yet, I would definitely say that there's evidence that Gen Z has extreme values with regards to emotional well-being and setting boundaries. Um, this particular generation really values individuality and they're going to look for the organization that aligns with their values. And so I think you can see this even playing out with, as I was mentioning, sort of this conflict between employer and employee and the choices that they have to make about enabling their best self. Um, I would say what we're going to see moving forward is is greater expectations around transparency, access to executive leadership, and, and much more comfortable with digital technology and the use of those platforms to communicate um, if, in fact, they are getting what they want. Um, but with all of that said, what I would say is people do, in fact, want to come to the office. They have greater expectations for the office. It's just they're changing uh, the nature of when and, and how often they show up. Yeah, yeah, and that's that. That seems to be that seems to be the case for sure. So, how does this? play itself out like in maybe an anecdote or two you know could could you share what that means you know specifically what does it mean to physically have more access to let's say leadership or access to technology you know does that mean you know more information on the wall in terms of like you know screens and you know sort of details about sort of the environment is it is is a certain settings you know are you know the way that the you know you know groups and teams are organized is now different could could, could you share some sort of thought, thoughts around stuff that you're seeing there that you know you think might work and i understand not this is not going to work for everybody but just some some anecdotes in terms of how it's you know played itself out in the in the real world yeah um i guess what i was saying to that i mean there are many examples of that but I mean, let's just go back to institutional volatility, for example, and the fact that things are happening so quickly in institutions today. So it doesn't necessarily relate back to generations, but I would say that the, the idea of how information is flowing to the org- through an organization is going to become increasingly important. And that does, in fact, relate to this idea of generations wanting to have access and visibility to what's going on all of the time to make their own decisions. So by that, it's going to be things like making sure people have visibility or access into spaces they may not be. It's weather boards. It's having displays that might be, you know, monitoring what's going on in your manufacturing floor, and that would be displayed. It might be evidence of information and orders that are coming in. So think of all the sort of soft um, or digital exhaust that might be happening throughout a day. 
it's things like that, which it brings alignment and cohesion and understanding of the situation in ways that people have never thought about before. Because if you're not in the office every day and you're not hearing that, you have to have some way of identifying and, and getting to figure out how you might cross those boundaries, so to speak. So we don't want to have isolated silos within an organization and moving forward. We're going to have to have these matrix organizations where information is moving quickly and everybody's acting on the same data. So in some ways, it speaks to what this next generation does want, which is they want to be able to like interpret it for themselves. They're very smart, they're very savvy, and they can find the answers. What I would say is it's no longer going to be relegated to a few people to make these decisions. The complexities facing orgs today are re- going to require everybody. And so by that, I mean everybody, um, not just yeah. the individual who's up at the top, but it's like everybody's going to have to have a, a voice in that decision. Or, or I would say a different way, everybody's going to have to have a voice in the discussion. They may not have the opportunity to make the decision, but I think they can add to the dialogue. And and that's understandable. Um, my quick follow-up question to that is: Do you think there is, um, you know, a, a a need in sort of a or or a shift is probably a better word in you know corporate thinking that needs to also happen um, to allow for that level of flexibility or input that maybe in the past, you know, workers did not provide. Yeah, I do. I, I would say so. I mean, I think that we're already starting to witness the shift in how leadership need to lead, especially in a hybrid organization. And I would say that as we look to the way that innovation happens, your leaders typically are the ones that are connecting the dots and bridging the gaps for people. Um, that may not be true going forward. So if you no longer have the middle manager that's connecting people and ideas, what would be the system that allows you to see those ideas and make those connections yourself? So this involves a network where you can literally, it has to do with an innovation network is really what I'm describing. Sure. It's no longer happening just in a place or time. It's happening virtually too. And it's also happening across the ecosystem with new partners too. Again, I don't think we're going to see just one organization solve these problems. It's going to we're going to have to come together with policy and all kinds of folks as we move forward to do, to identify the innovation. Yeah, given the nature of this sort of hybrid, you know, workplace that I think is evolving more and more, and I know this is a shifting topic, obviously, but I am curious if what you guys do is then also spilling over into the home, you know, especially as companies are giving their employees, you know, allowances to, you know, create a work environment in their home office, however they want to do it. You know, do they bring in your chairs, your tables, your (laughs) things that you guys do into the home now? Um, Are you guys aware of that? Is that, is that a concern or is that an opportunity? I think that's an opportunity. And yes, we're aware of it. In fact, at the beginning of, I mentioned to you that at the beginning of COVID, our team in earnest wanted to understand the situation. So we actually conducted a body of research to understand what users were doing in their home environment, such as where they were setting their office up, how many people actually even had space to do that, and what was their pattern of behavior. And I would say that we were seeing early indicators of a lot of satisfaction with the home environment. And in fact, we do have uh, a work-from-home business, and so we are actually aligning our resources to support that. Shifting gears a little bit, you know, how has this time been for you personally? I mean, you're you're you know talking about you know working with you know big companies and sort of helping them figure out a lot of stuff around you know 
the the place and the space and and the soul as as you said also right um but you know what about you patricia you know how has your work evolved um and or has it um and how how do you look at sort of what what you do and how you do it needs to needs to sort of transform as well i think that's a really good question um I have to, you know, acknowledge that the pandemic initially was really a wonderful opportunity for me to slow down and to be really connected to my family. You know, I was the individual that was, you know, starting to grow my plants from seeds. And it was super exciting for me, you know, to, to relive, if you will, my third grade experiment of growing beans, if you will, um, from the start. Nevertheless, I would also add that as the pandemic continued and, um, you know, on for, for many, many years, I would say that the disconnection from my team was very, very difficult. So the isolation and the stress that we tend to carry when we're trying to solve, as I said, complex problems, that was difficult. And um, I think like many people, I would express that as a time of trauma that actually reignited existing trauma in my sense of self or my previous experiences. As a result of that, what I would say is now being with my team members, I highly value that opportunity to be with them. And I understand and recognize that the value that you get with being with another human being is far greater than just having a discussion around the work. And I think we fail to understand the power of support that we receive from other human beings, not just you know, in the work context, but just emotional and psychological support that we tend to get from others. When it comes to sort of adoption of new processes, we had to quickly pivot to online platforms that enable us to collaborate more effectively and drive, um, I would say, action through facilitation and new ways of collecting data. And I'm curious, I'm curious how your personal experience and what, what you sort of have to go through then feeds into your work as well. I mean, you're obviously doing qualitative and quantitative research to sort of figure out, you know, what do these companies need and how they're going to evolve into the next sort of, you know, level of this. But, you know, part of that I'm sure is also fed through your personal experiences and the path that you have walked through, right? Um, do, do you see that that interaction happening too? Yeah, I do. And I think it's because of that that I'm able to articulate the fact that individuals coming up out of COVID are moving into what I would describe as the air of attention, which is this idea of I'm only going to put my attention into those things that truly have meaning or value in my life. And I think that is why we see, we saw certainly the great resignation during the pause or during the years of 20 to 2022. And now we see people questioning whether or not the commute is worth the drive. And I think these are people who are asking for, I will do it if it's worth my time. And I think that that sort of sensibility around like where we place our attention is really the shift that, that we see. With that said, what I would say is, therefore, if my attention is very deliberate and I expect to have a particular experience, then I think the work needs to work harder. And I think that the experience of the office needs to actually mimic or match the kinds of expectations that employees are looking for, including socializing with purpose, which is what I'm talking about, which is isolation. Um, it's the ability to be with others, mentor, guide, learn, teach, coach, and, and quietly guide them. 
Um, are there certain parts of the country that you feel are um, emerging as sort of you know faster adopters in some of these these thoughts? I mean, you guys obviously work with you know clients across the globe, right? But, but you know, are, are there certain you know, regions where you feel, um, and I don't know if this is even possible to, you know, divide up geographically, but I'm kind of curious, you know, um, uh, if if you are noticing sort of distinct differences in, let's say, you know, West Coast versus East Coast versus Midwest versus even Western Europe, right? I think it's a really interesting point that you make geographically. We are definitely seeing some differences with regards to first or second tier cities. I would also say that we're seeing a difference with regards to the type of industry. I think you see like the mid market and you see like some of these middle of the country regions going back in the office before probably didn't even stay at home where some, some areas that were much more hesitant to return back to the office are having different challenges. I would also add that we're seeing significant challenges with regards to transportation, getting into the cities and the safety of these cities these days. Um, in New York and San Francisco, not so sure about Atlanta, but definitely I think with the rise of potential, you know, recessions and or inflation and crime, I think there's other challenges that we're facing with regards to returning to the office. So, um, are there any any examples of you know companies and maybe uh, you know maybe you can mention the companies you know specifically by by name? But I'm curious, you know, you know, even if you say you know a big technology company based in the West Coast or something like that, right? Um, that have done you know maybe this the right way or the way that you feel um, you know they've they've been really kind of engaged in sort of how they look look at it. And I'm just sort of you know curious if if you can highlight a couple of anecdotes. Of uh, you know you know good exemplars that you know folks in the industry um, you know are implementing things. I think it's important to recognize again as we go back to what is the purpose and the meaning of work. I think the most exemplary examples of the way in which space is playing out are for those organizations that deeply understand the value that they serve to them, their employees, to their community, and to the world at large. So the bigger yeah. shifts that I'm seeing that are really fascinating for me are this notion of getting back to your earlier point about social spaces, but they're developing large scale social spaces and they're inviting the community to come and spend time there. So whether that be I'm part of the community and I want to see the fact that you've got an art installation here and I can walk through your facility and go examine or see that art installation or I happen to have a meeting and I can come in your cafe and actually hold that meeting here. I think these kinds of ways in which organizations are trying to tap into their community and starting to use their space as a community space are very different shifts. And I think it speaks to a larger shift that we're seeing around what does it mean to be a business for good and how do I begin to express the fact that we are a regenerative culture that is not only giving back to our own employees but giving back to the larger community in which I live. I think those are the larger trends that I'm seeing that are very fascinating. Um, as we close this conversation, um, Patricia, one question that I always like to ask is, you know, how how would you um, how would you approach your you know career, your path, uh, you know, your work at Steelcase? If you sort of knew 20 years ago what you know today, right? Or what would be sort of advice? <laughs> you would give to your younger self or somebody, you know, trying to get into this 
industry and, you know, really wants to make an impact? Well, truthfully, I think what I would remind my younger self was is that the challenges that we're going to face as we move into the future will require us to look at things in new ways. So what I would say is check your balance, bias, act boldly with a spirit of openness and cooperation, and no doubt I would tell myself to maintain a beginner's mind. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that term or not. It's a concept from Zen Buddhism, and it really means having an attitude of openness, eagerness, lack of preconceptions when you're studying a subject matter. And I think more than ever, we all need to employ a beginner's mind. I think we're at the precipice of something new. I believe that work uh, and the structure of work is changing significantly. And I think that this is a huge opportunity. I would tell myself to maintain that open spirit and that open mind. That's excellent advice. And I've actually used um, beginner's mindset in a quote, uh, in an article that we just recently wrote, uh, that, that 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 you know, some some somebody mentioned, and it's and it's so true. Um, Patricia, thank you so much for your time. Really, really appreciate it. Uh, stay well and uh, have a good rest of the week. Thank you. It was such a pleasure talking to you. That was another episode of the Real Perspectives podcast, and we thank you for taking the time to listen to it. Conversations like these help us comprehend our evolving industry better and hopefully provide a perspective that helps you understand the dynamics of commercial real estate. If you like this episode, please subscribe to our show and tell your colleagues about it. That is the best way to spread the news and help us remain relevant across the industry. Cheers. Cheers.